This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Esha Torah here, Practical Spirituality in the Old City of Jerusalem, overlooking the Temple Mount. We'll start with a bracha. Baruch atah Adonai you know, the, the Torah juxtaposes two types of thieves. There are thieves that are uh, called Ganavim, and there are thieves that are called Gazlanim. So there's the Ganav and the Gazlan. The Ganav is the regular type of burglar thief who doesn't want to get caught, because most thieves don't want to get caught, they don't want to be seen. And the Gazlan is like the, uh, uh, is like the, it's called a Shodeda, Oh my gosh, we got a mugger, like, the mugger is not afraid of you, you know, they're not afraid of people, they'll, they'll just steal outright, and in some societies, people are just ripping stuff off, like, for example, a looter, someone who's looting, you know, with surveillance cameras, and iPhones filming and stuff, and they're all just running in there and stealing stuff straight out of the store, you know, in broad daylight, they, you know, they have these, like, flash, what are they called? Oh, flash mobs. Flash mobs are called? Yeah. Flash mobs were like, a, flash mobs is when a gang of like 10 thieves just <clears throat> jump into a store, grab everything, and jump out and run. And so, anyway, those are called gazlanim, gazlanim. So, so um, this week's Parsha, which is Parsha's Noyach, is talking about a very serious crime, which is basically gazel. And one of the terms that's used to describe it is the word uh, Hamas, which is kind of interesting that Hamas tipped the scales. Uh, the word Hamas is not, in Hebrew, is not the terrorist organization, rather. It means um, uh, financial treachery. Like, for example, not lending someone when you could is Hamas. If you could have helped somebody with a loan and you didn't, that's called Hamas. And uh, so financial treachery, usury, um, including thievery is part of Hamas and um, and what happened was that in this particular case people were involved in what's called gezel and gezel means that it's just no one's no one's afraid what anyone thinks they're just like they're just stealing in broad daylight without hiding it at all and that is enough to cause a flood that's enough to cause a flood why, though? What's the big deal? And, and what's a gun of? A gun of someone who is afraid of getting caught. And, but, so he hides and, you know, sneaks in and stuff like, you know, grabs stuff when no one's looking. Now, interestingly, if someone is caught stealing who is a gazlan, meaning they steal in broad daylight in front of everybody, and you catch him, he has to give back whatever he took. Whereas if he's a ganav, if, he's a, uh, if he steals secretly, like most thieves, and you catch him, he has to pay twice the amount. He has to pay twice. It's called kefal. He has to pay twice the amount. Meaning he's punished for not only what he stole, he has to pay the same amount of its worth. Again, he gets an extra, um, what do you call that, a dock? Kanas, how do you say Kanas in English? I don't know. Uh, penalty. He has an extra penalty of paying double. Whereas someone who steals brazenly in broad daylight and not afraid of people only pays what he stole. 
So why is the, the Ganav, why is he charged double? So our rabbis teach us, well, let's hear if you guys have, want to give it a try. Of Rumi, I don't know if I'm going to let you try because you probably know the answer. But why would we give the guy who steals secretly an extra penalty? Whereas the one who brazenly steals. Go ahead. <laughs> Hiding and stealing. I like that. I never thought of that. Yeah. Because the guy that's stealing like hiddenly like shows that he's more afraid of other people finding out than God has found out. Very good. That's what the Talmud says. Is that you see he's afraid of people, but he's not afraid of God. Is that what you're gonna say, Rami? Yeah. Because <laughs> the Talmud says that. You see he's afraid of people, but he's not afraid of God. Which is kind of a strange thing because I mean, who are you more afraid of? Probably if we looked at our lives, we're probably also more afraid of people than God. You know, we're, we're more busy with trying to please people, more busy trying to avoid looking bad in front of people much more than we are worrying about what God thinks of us. So we're kind of like the Ganav, in a way. We're a bit like the Ganav. More, we probably have more in common with the Ganav than, uh, you know, I mean, you do meet people who are just completely reckless publicly. But most people are not so reckless publicly, but they're extremely reckless privately. And especially Jews, because Jews are, are, we have like thousands of laws that we have to fulfill. Sometimes we have to do stuff, sometimes we have to not do stuff, but much of that takes place in your privacy. So for example, there are, someone would more likely break Shabbat privately than publicly. Because they're concerned what people think, but they're not that concerned what God thinks. Clear? Now, now, the world was destroyed in this week's Parsha. Humanicide. This isn't just genocide. This is humanicide. The world was destroyed because of because of Gezel. Because of just meaning the lesser of the two evils is considered gezel, where you're just like, I'm not afraid of anybody. I'm not afraid of God, not afraid of people. You know, you're kind of like more, in a way you could say the Goslin's more real. Because he's just not afraid of anybody. Not afraid of God, not afraid of people. He's just being who he is. Whereas the Ganav is pretending to be someone he's not. He's pretending to be a regular citizen while in fact, behind the scenes, he's stealing. That seems like the worst guy. You understand? It really seems like the Ganav's the worst guy. Because at least the Gazlan. Yeah, do you guys want me to write Ganav and Gazlan? Just to see you okay. Even though I've taught, it's only two words and I've translated both about 20 times already. I've tried to spell it. So I'll do it in Give English. Give Ganav is the secret thief. And the Gazlan is the brazen thief. The mafia is usually secret. The mafia is more Ganavim, and the Gazlan's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the flash mob uh, thieves. Okay. More, more nuts salad over there? Yeah. If you don't mind dumping them on the table so the bag doesn't get crinkled. Oh, like however many you're yeah. eating. Yeah. 
Get him dumped out of it. That stuff costs more than falafel, doesn't it? Isn't that amazing? Mixed nuts cost more than uh, getting a meal at a falafel store. This is like Okay. Um, so it's clear that the Ganav's really much worse guy in various ways, and it's clear the Goslin's also a pretty bad guy too, because he's just simply dangerous. He doesn't care what you think. He's pretty dangerous too. But which one caused the world to be destroyed? The Ganav or the Goslin? The Goslin that's caused the world to be destroyed. And the question is why? Why did the Goslin have God create the flood that destroys the world? Why is it the Goslin that causes the flood and not the Ganav? And there's a couple different answers you can give for that. Um, one answer is at least with humans pretending they're good, society more or less stays intact. Like, if everyone's pretending to be good even though they're not good, society keeps its order more or less. Okay, everyone's pretending. But it more or less stays within order. Whereas in a society where everyone's gone to like, to the point where they just don't care what anyone thinks anymore. And just, is, it's a society of thievery, of what's called Natur Hamas. When the societies become a society of Hamas, so then... God just destroys the world. Like then, then the whole place gets wiped out. Okay, something to think about. Another issue, well, you guys tell me, why does the Gazlan, why do we destroy the world over the Gazlan? So where do you think we're holding now, society, socially, between these? <laughs> I think we're in the Ghana times. But I think the flash mobs are in the Gazlan times. They have nothing to lose. There's a lot, like Brazil, you said you're from Brazil, they're pretty raising There's a lot of Gazlanim in Brazil, yeah. right? Are people not so afraid? What anyone? They're both in. Yeah. Uh, I would not want to live in a city that has a lot of Gazlanim. That would be scary. You know, Jerusalem has very little of both. Meaning, Jer Jerusalem, guys, um, Jerusalem has very little. Um, it has very little. Uh, what do you call this kind of crime? Like um, armed robbery and burglary. No. All this kind of crime, rape, molestation, yeah. all this kind of stuff, thievery, things like that. So it's, it's interesting that we have extremely low numbers. We have some of the best numbers in the world on a domestic, domestic crime. No, no, domestics in the home, right? What's the term for these kinds of crimes? Crime rape. No, what's the term for this kind of crime? The actual violent crime. No. Domestic violence? <laughs> Whatever you call this kind of you, you don't know what this kind of crime is. There's a term for it. I, I just can't remember what it is. Anyway, um, Israel has like some of the best numbers on the planet for this. Meaning, a woman really can walk alone here and and be safe. I mean, I'm sure there's some areas where it's not safe, but no one really knows where those areas are. They, it's extremely safe. It doesn't mean you don't take care of yourself. You should still take care of yourself and do do everything necessary. You know, you should lock your door. But you wouldn't really have to. Like if you're meaning if you're worried about you can leave your house every day in Jerusalem, more or less, with the door open. And come back day after day after day after day after day after day. And by the way, you could lock it if someone wants to get in there. 
your locking it isn't what's going to make the difference. You know, like people can lock their door. If the person really wants in, it's just that we have a low, we have a very low crime rate, very low crime. Apparently in Israel, we're dealing with much heavier stuff. You know, we're, we're more worried about like someone blowing themselves up or something. And, uh, and it's interesting that our police are not very good at crime. Our police are really bad at crime. And when you go to the police and you say, there was a crime, you know, and you file your report, and you say, so what are you guys going to do about it? They're like, they always answer the same thing. They say, en koach adam. En koach adam. Which can be literally translated as, the man ain't got no strength. Yeah? But what it, what it means literally, koach adam means manpower. They say, we don't have manpower for that. So just say goodbye to your stuff. Do you have insurance? They always ask you if you have insurance. Because like, then they can just, they click, they like check a box, they had insurance. No so we can completely ignore it. But you can have someone like rob your house in Jerusalem with like, with chocolate cake all over their fingers for fingerprints. <laughs> and and they, they, the cops still won't really show up unless like something really crazy was stolen. But they, but they're just not good at it because we don't have, that's not our regular, that's not the crime in Israel. Anyway, but that's not our subject. Let's get back to our subject. I'm, I'm asking you guys, why does God destroy the world over the brazen thieves, over Gazlan? Uh, well, to, to me, the answer is actually in uh, Bereshit 6.4. Uh, yes. It please. actually is talking about uh, the fallen angels mating with a woman. <laughs> you know, it's actually... Right, so he's bringing up, what's your name? Carlos. Carlos? Uh, Carlos. 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 Carlos is bringing up a separate subject. I mean, the same subject, but what I didn't share with you guys is there was another half. It was Hamas, which means what? Someone translate Hamas? I'm walking out if some, no one here can translate Hamas. Thievery. Treachery. Financial treachery. Financial treachery. She read it off her notes, and she got it more or less. So financial treachery. What is Hamas? Financial treachery. But what, what Carlos is bringing up, something I didn't really share with you guys, and that was um, that, the, that there was also... Um, well, two things. One was was sexual licentiousness, uh, sexual depravity, yeah. and uh, but he's bringing up even another aspect is there were there were um, aliens. What? There were basically aliens consorting with uh, with women down here, breeding with the women, which was uh, not cool, I guess, for God. God didn't want little alien babies running around. Well, you know? I, I think the answer. Now, this topic is in Medishit uh, 315. You're willing to be filmed because it makes it more interesting? Oh. If you're willing, I mean, oh, unless, yeah. unless people are after you or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, in Medishit uh, 315 is when God uh, declares the, the course uh, on, the, um, on the servant. Right. Uh, and uh, also the blessing. Uh, to all humanity also that from the seed of uh, Adam and Eve uh, uh, shall come uh, the deliverer right. uh, the Messiah sure so um, basically you don't want other seed around I'm sorry so you don't want other seed exactly but uh, I what what's Genesis uh, Bereshit 315 is, is talking about is that um, that from uh, the seed of Adam and Eve is going to be born the one who is going to crush Satan's head. Right. So, uh, he understood this. Satan understood this really well. And that's when he comes uh, in Genesis 6-4 uh, to try to destroy all population. 
with his DNA. <laughs> okay, it's, that's cool. Where, what's your source for that? I, I didn't know. Uh, it's, it's, you have a source for that? Uh, it's my own studies. Okay. Yeah. No source. <laughs> It may be, maybe it is, it is source. I've asked my Rebbe several times, did I just turn this the wrong way? I asked my Rebbe several times, who are these aliens? My Rebbe's like, he shares stuff very carefully. Every time I've asked him, who are these aliens? Maybe I'll go tonight again. I don't think I can go tonight. He always looks at me and he's like, And then looks back at his book and he's like, as I was saying. <laughs> he will not tell me who the aliens are. Anyway, but, uh, but I imagine, Carlos, that you're probably wrong. Um, because if you were right, my Rebbe would have told me. What, the fallen angels? I mean, there's something about... No, nah, but who these... The, these are like aliens or something. They, who these aliens are, my Rebbe definitely would have told me if you were well, right. What it says, it says, uh, sons of Elohim. That doesn't matter. You need to know what that means. You got to click on the word. You clicked on it. Right. But this is the world according to Carlos. My Rebbe is, he, he knows a, a gigantic amount of Torah. And everything he knows is never according to him. It's always brought down for, you know, probably a couple thousand years. So he always looks at me and then just refuses to tell me who the Benea Elohim are. Who are these fallen or whatever. They're called the Nephilim, the fallen ones. Yeah, Rabbi Shalom. Who's my Rebbe? My Rebbe is Rabbi Friedman, Rabbi Shalom Friedman. It's the Hornish type of Rebbe. He used to live in Pagi Sanhedrin, right near your house. Is he the Rebbe that sleeps two hours a day, or is that his Rebbe? No, no, he's the one who sleeps two hours a day. Yeah. I don't think his Rebbe slept at all. Can you imagine, can a person never sleep? So there's actually a Rebbe alive today who didn't sleep for 50 years. Yeah, now he has to sleep. And the doctor has said, like, forget it. Like, you got to sleep. But he didn't sleep for 50 years. 50? 50 years. Into his 60s, ever since his bar mitzvah. You know, when they told him at his bar mitzvah, you know, the rabbi said, we hope you'll continue your Jewish education. So he was like... He took the rabbi a little too seriously. Yeah. The rest of us, when they told that to us when we were kids, we were like, yeah, right. You know? <laughs> this bar mitzvah's graduation, rabbi. I'm graduating Judaism. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, he, he took him. That was the last time he went to sleep. He did not go to sleep from 13 to, I forget, it was 68 or something. And then he had a stroke. And then, uh, and then recently he had another, he had Another thing just happened, but he's back in business. He's just got to sleep. That's all. <coughs> anyway, I got to ask him a couple questions before. It was quite amazing. I mean, it's frightening to be in the presence of such a Rebbe. I asked him a question. He went like this. We're standing. And I asked him my question. He goes like this. He just falls fast asleep on his feet. And I'm just sitting there going like, I just asked a question, you know, I just stood there waiting. His assistant was just like, this means wait in Hebrew. Anyway, the Rebbe finally goes, after like 30 seconds, and he answered my question. So I asked a question, he slept on it. <laughs> <laughs> he popped up 30 seconds later with an answer. Um, anyway, any other takers on why the Gazlanim 
because... Okay, so I'll... Yeah, what do you got? Okay, okay, I like that. Yeah, what do you got to remember? Um, like, you have to have Yerushalayim to have free will, right? So, is that, so they, they prove to God, like, they don't have Yerushalayim, so, like, he's, he's just, like, dumbfounded with the fact that, like, they're just, like, you know, I'm going to, like, rebel in, like, such a treacherous way that, like, I'm going to prove to, like, the infinite God that, like, I have no, I have no caring, like, what he says. Okay. At the same time, though, if everyone is Gazlan, I mean, you really don't have anyone to back you. Like, if you're in the street by yourself, you have people who will, like, come to your rescue, they'll help you. But if everyone's like that, you're like, I mean, you're on your own. Right. So, so what's brought is, I'd like, I'll share with you a bit of what I studied on it, is, is that when, pe- when a society turns to brazen thievery, so it's basically, what happens in that society is, it's like all hell breaks loose. Basically, the society itself saying, um, there's no rules anymore, and there's no judge. There's neither rules nor judge, meaning, meaning we get to do whatever we want, and there's absolutely no consequence. Because once the society's turned to a free-for-all like that, and there's no consequence. So basically, you get an entire society that's saying, not only is there no rules anymore, but there's no ruler. And when a society gets to this point where there's no rules and there's no ruler, well, well then what was the purpose of creation? The purpose of creation was that God would have a relationship with creation. I mean, that's the simplest. You don't have to be a genius to know that. Like The whole reason God did it was to have a relationship with the creation. But if the creation itself, meaning society, has lost all sight of creator, has lost it totally. So there's no such thing as a creator because you see everyone acts like it's a free-for-all. So once an entire society turns into a free-for-all, so then that the point of creation's over. The whole point's over. And so that's why God folds the creation in. And he would have folded it entirely in except for, I don't know, I can't judge for what God's thinking, but he decided to recreate it through Noah. And we know it's not because Noah was so good. He was so good, but that's not why God did it. Because we know that that God's willing to save Sdoyim, another society, which was down by, you know, the Dead Sea today. Um, there was a whole society there. It was actually made of five different towns, called the Five Towns. And so these five towns were, were troublemakers, the Five Towns people. And we see that God was willing. What was his biggest number that he said he wouldn't destroy it for? Do you remember, Carlos, the biggest number? Was it 10? 10, was it? He said he wouldn't destroy it for 10? Oh, yeah. Or was it more, even more he than 10? He started off at 100. Yeah. And what did God say about 100? He said no, right? He said he wouldn't do it. <laughs> he did start at 100, didn't he? Did he start at 100? Anyway, God said he wouldn't. He wouldn't destroy the place for the 100. So, 
but he got down to 10. What happened after 10? Uh, we have to, I think 10 he ended. I think he ends at 10. Which means what? What's the inference? Why didn't he say 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4? He's saving a whole town. The inference is at less than 10. Abraham knew. If there's not 10 fit men in a town, it's going down. <laughs> or another thing to know for all of us is if there's not 10 men in a town who are keeping Torah, like, don't go to that place. Like, that is not a place. I mean, you can go visit, but don't move there. You know, unless you're being joined by nine men. But we, we can learn from that. Like, be in a town with, with some men who are kosher. You know, with at least ten men who are kosher. But we see, we can infer from, from that story that nine men would not be enough to not destroy the town. So why is just having Noah enough? Why is having Noah enough? So the answer is Noah is not enough. The reason why God let the world be recreated through Noah is more because, you know, as Bob Marley says, we've got to fulfill the book, you know. Some say it's just a part of it. We've got to fulfill the book. Yeah, you know that song? Won't you help me sing these songs of freedom? Because all I ever had... Wow, you really woke up. <laughs> Redemption song. Oh, good. Yeah, write those guys. It's good to write them. So, you're writing about Noah? I'm writing about Noah, $100 million stock frauds. Yeah. So, this is all, what you're talking about, and this can go in posterity, this is all real. This is like still happening. You mind if I film you for this? No, absolutely not. This is all real. This is all real. I'm, I'm a, uh, Without the detail, I don't want the details. Okay, okay. Just explain why it's all real. First of all, it's brilliant. The fact that our Chachamim know that there's two different types of thievery in the world and there's different punishments that go, it, it's, it, 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 it's we, in order for us to understand where we are situated, you know, hundreds and hundreds of meters from the Kadosh Kadoshim, the holiest place on earth, and we just heard the call of the Muzen 15 seconds ago, that we're living in a world of opposites. What we want, what we desire, is ultimate righteousness, the ultimate fulfillment and embodiment of the Ten Commandments. No stealing, no adultery, keeping the Sabbath, honoring our mother and father. I mean, you know, every molecule of our body is a miracle. Every single, but we don't feel it, or not we, we might feel it here, but the world isn't experiencing it yet because every moment is a violation of the Ten Commandments. And I personally experienced that right now. Uh, without the details, I can't go into details. But um, I will say this, Jack Ma is coming here. He's made an honorary degree. He himself could solve all the court cases in the, U in the U.S. We're talking about intellectual property now and theft. He himself could get together and just create justice. There are people... He's the world. richest Chinese man? He's the richest Chinese oh, man. He's Alibaba. He just resigned from Alibaba three days ago, and the Chinese government is orchestrating his retirement. Mm -hmm. Okay? The wealthy people in this world could, right now, as as Reverend does, wake up and say, "We need to restore justice. Let's stop fighting. Let's just heal it." There are court cases unpaid, and that's part of they can't do it because Mashiach hasn't come yet. Mashiach could, or Hashem could, at any moment say, 
We're just going to have righteousness. And that's clearly what happened, you know, 5,000 years ago. That there were societies that needed to be taught a lesson. And it, Hashem doesn't want it that way. Hashem wants it to be done easily with kindness. And, you know, I read on the part, there's secret thief, brazen thief, ganav, gazlan. I, I literally, while I'm here, just wrote to two SEC lawyers that I've, that I've been in touch with for years because I won a court case in Delaware years ago with electric bikes and lithium-ion batteries for $100 million, not me personally, but thousands of U.S. investors, $100 million that, that was stolen. This was one of hundreds and hundreds of companies. The market cap of Chinese companies right now on the SEC is in the trillions of dollars. So... There is the movement towards Mashiach moves extremely slowly. Anyone who's interested in all this can see it in a great movie called The China Hustle. That was, oh, Mark Cuban was in my email. He produced the movie. And it's a story of $30 billion of, of losses that Americans endured because of this, what this was, secret thief and brazen thievery. You get a good administration in Trump because he's going after them. Yeah, slowly, slowly. Anyway, it's real. It's real. And the thing that I try to impart to people is Lavan was not a character that existed only in the Torah. It's very important to consult wiser people when it comes to business decisions because I didn't. And in Pirkei Avot it says don't separate yourself from the community. And I did. Always good to ask for wise advice from people that know better. That's the big lesson for me. That's the take home lesson. Because if I had done that I wouldn't be you know, scrambling to backtrack on a mistake that I made six years ago when I pushed a button by mistake and decided to invest in the game on batteries and electric bikes. Thank you for the clear time. Sure. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Wouldn't that be cool, though, if one of these trillionaires actually just covered all the losses? That'd be pretty good. Yeah. I switched it again. Yeah, I just put it back to... I put it on the other camera. Now Goslin and Ga... Ga it's going to be backwards because the front screen puts everything backwards. It doesn't reverse. It's okay. Not a big deal. All right. Now... Um, anyway, but you, you got the picture that, that when all hell breaks loose thousands of years ago, God just says, forget about it. We're wiping the place. We're wiping the slate. We're going to shake the Etch-A-Sketch clean and start again. Through Noah, why through Noah? Because the, as Bob Marley said, we got to fulfill the book, there's more. Meaning there, there's more coming. It's like you can't just wipe out the entire... I mean, God could wipe out anything he wants, but God had plans for our planet. It's the same reason that I don't really teach classes on free will based on Adam and Eve. Why? Because they blew it and they eat from the fruit. But we're only here because of that. So obviously God wanted there to be a world, so how can you really judge free will based on a sin that had to happen? You get that? Like that sin had to happen. For the, for, obviously God's plan was to create a world, not just the Garden of Eden. So Adam had to eat from the fruit in order to get thrown out of the garden and for us to all learn that lesson. What lesson? What's the lesson of Adam and Eve? What's the lesson? We gotta get you guys. If anything, you leave Jerusalem, you at least have to come back with a lesson of Adam and Eve's, like the original sin. What was the lesson? Don't worry, you're not being filmed. So, 
I mean, I'm not here to embarrass anybody. I just want to make sure you guys got this lesson. Yeah? Nice. Were they thrown out of the garden for eating the fruit? What did God say to them? Yeah, he just said Ayeka, as if he doesn't know. He knows, he knows what they did. He just wanted to give them a chance. Give them a chance to take responsibility. But what did Adam say? She made me do it. What did she say? The snake made me do it. He went that away. And God said, oh, you want to hide? You want to hide from what you did? Okay. Let me show you what that's all about. And then God just went, blew creation into, into what we have now, which is a totally different setting where you don't really get to have private conversations with God unless you're a prophet. But uh, we haven't had a prophet in 2,500 years, so we're kind of stuck. Wait, 2,500 years. Since the time of the rebuilding, the second temple was the last prophets. Yeah, last prophets of... Of history, of course, Gentiles use the word prophet very loosely, meaning anyone who was like a really good teacher gets the term prophet, you know. Or if he started a movement, he gets the term prophet. But prophet does not mean you're a movement starter, or a really good teacher, or that, or that you are a great sacrifice for the generation. That doesn't make you a prophet, okay? Or that you felt you you thought you heard something in a cave it does not make you a prophet, even if you heard it. It doesn't make you a prophet because. It just makes you someone who heard something in a cave. <laughs> Prophecy has, comes with very rigorous um, testing. Like if, if you suddenly got prophecy, you would have, we would be testing you to check that you're truly a prophet. came with rigorous testing. In fact, we have a commandment that says, don't overly test a prophet. Meaning once the prophet's pulled it off that he's able to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's a prophet, so leave him alone. Let him prophesy. Like stop, stop hassling the guy. You know what that means? Hassle prophets. You meet someone who says they're a prophet, you hassle them and prove them wrong. Now, if he wins, leave him alone. He won. He's a prophet. But uh, when, when, with, with Gentiles very, are, are very loose with the word prophet. You know, they, they just, you know, anyone who has, you know, started a movement gets the term prophet, something like that. Or, you know, anyone who is considered saintly suddenly is a prophet. But, the, but really, the last prophet uh, lived during the beginning of the second temple. And uh, since his passing, there hasn't been another prophet on him. Who was that? Who was the last prophet? You know? Malachi? Malachi. Malachi was the last prophet. The last, the last verse is that the back on these times, like we look back a hundred years and say, wow, they were coming to synagogue with horses 
and it's only 100 years ago, they'll look back on this time and be like, wow, it was like war in the world. How crazy that they were like on the edge of destruction for you know, a century. And that like everybody was sort of petrified that like at any moment the planet could end. Or it could go the other way. And that's what this death of this partial. Okay, now, um, anyway, but, the, but the, when society just breaks up, which is two major things, survival and reproduction. Survival's Hamas, that's financial treasury, survival, money, how we deal with money. And, and thievery, obviously, and, uh, and uh, banditry, banditry, which is brazen thievery. And, uh, and the other is reproduction, which is sexuality. Well, isn't that interesting that survival and reproduction are what, are, are what ultimately the flood came for? Meaning God created the plants, animals, and humans hardwired to survive. And there's two ways to survive. The one is survival, survival through food, money, resources. And the other way is through sexuality. And you see it's very specifically that this generation had, had um, sinned greatly with both. With both. Sexuality was... was was dep- was in a depraved form, and also um, financially, and w- meaning society had a full breakup there, where we weren't even like, and we weren't even keeping the basics. Um, by the way, you know the story of the two by twos, the animals coming to the ark two by two. So we have a tradition that says that the that people were. S- that the, the society can get corrupt itself. Like the actual society can go fully corrupt. And the corruption of the society affects everything. And that even animals were intermating with other species. And that the only animals that got to come to the ark were the animals that didn't inter, intermate. Meaning all those two, meaning there were a bunch of other species that didn't make it into the ark. But those were species that had intermingled with other species. Now, what's interesting about that today, if I may say, and this might sound a little controversial, but the, um, the gender crisis that we're having today has affected, um, it's affecting super deep now. Like you have kid, kids who can't figure out if they're boys or girls, and even though it's clear what they are by anatomy, it's gotten extremely confusing for people. And now I understand, I've always understood, since I'm a kid, I understood there's such thing as adults with that issue. But now we've come to a point where it's even the kids having that issue. We've come to the point where, where, where um, men, I know a lot of men that if their clothing doesn't fit tight, which has always been reserved for women, they, throughout history, tight-fitting clothes was, was for women and Michael Jackson, I guess, but we call him a man. But the uh, tight-fitting clothes was always reserved for women. But I know men today that if their clothes are not skin-tight, they're, they're like, I was, I was teaching a class recently of these, you know, you know, these 21-year-old metrosexual guys and their tight clothes and their little knicker shoes and knicker sorry did I say knicker shoes their little boots like little girly booties and and their pink socks and and the super tight you know knicker pants and stuff and all the way up to their shirts were tight too the whole class like 30 of these guys and I said to them I said you know you guys you guys wouldn't even 
know what it's like to wear like loose fitting clothing like regular men always did and, and you know what they did like several of the men went <laughs> like they got they got like you know what do you call that uh yeah what's the term for when like like goosebumps like they got like goosebumps thinking about loose fitting clothing and someone just told me that you can go to the mall and find men you can find men with uh a baby on their belly, like some men carrying a, you know, a front pack with a baby, pushing a stroller, laden with weight, and the woman's just like, you know, like, she's like, you know, the Marlboro man, you know, walking, she's not holding anything, and they, they say that you can see that stuff, and someone told me just now that he sat in Cafe Aroma. And he saw a woman just sitting there, and she sent her husband six times to the counter. It's not weighted tables, it's counter coffee shop, this particular one. He said he counted six times that she sent him with his tail between his legs back to the counter. <laughs> so... Anyway, but there, we learn from this week's Parsha that like the actual nature of creation can, can shift. Like, like the, actual, uh, the, the actual world can get adulterated. Like we can actually have it that way. That, that things will get shifted around so much that, that to the point where like our anatomy becomes irrelevant. I mean, that does not exist in the animal kingdom. I mean, I'm sure there's some anomaly in the Amazon somewhere, you know, but in general, like, it just doesn't exist in the natural world where, where a plant or an animal with female or male anatomy suddenly has, has a, a, either wants to shift its anatomy or shift its gender role or that it suddenly gets attracted to its own gender. You know, that's just strange. Now, male and female always attract. Male and female always attract, but, but because human beings are made of male and female, meaning I got a feminine side and I got a masculine side. So because I'm both male and female, if my, male, if my female was extra strong, I would be pulled towards male. And if my male, if a woman's male was extra strong, she would be pulled, pulled towards female. You understand? We're, male and female are always attracting. That's why in general in homosexual relationships, there's generally a male and a female. They may be of same anatomy, but they have, um, they, there's usually a male and female going, relationship going on there. And so, but we've come to a point where, where people are, meaning it's beautiful when a man's feminine sides develop, but we have men who haven't developed their men, ma the male side. And it's, and it's also nice when a female's developed her male side, you know, for in certain situations, that can be uh, very important. But, but, uh, but it's also um, to the point where the female side's been lost, is, all, is you know, that's, that gets a little, that's, that's a shift in nature. So we're having this, like, natural shift. So in, the way, in a way, you could say, that the, the liberal perspective, which is championing, you know, a gender-neutral uh, society, in a way they're right. In a way they're right. They're saying, like, this is what's going on. Let's respect these people. But us as Jews, 
with our ancient Torah. We're like, yes, you're right. You're right. Society's gone that far away. We've gone that far away. But rather than, rather than um, we, would, we would say, rather than uh, facilitate that, rather than make that easier on society, we would say, well, let's see what we can do to get things back to the way God created it. Let's go back to the way God created it. Let's spend our resources not on creating transgender bathrooms. Is that the right term? New, gender neutral bathrooms. Rather than spend the money on gender neutral bathrooms, why don't we like actually fix the place? You know, it'd be like uh, it'd be like spending all my money figuring figuring out another way to keep my t- kids' teeth from falling out because they all refuse to brush. Instead of educate them on brushing teeth, you understand? Like, like I'm not gonna go spend a million dollars trying to figure out a new way to keep teeth, kids' teeth in their mouths. I'm going to train my kids how to brush because there's something wrong with their relationship to brushing teeth. So, but we have a society that's basically saying, you know what, the whole place is going to pot, so let's, let's kind of, let's recreate everything to make that okay. As opposed to looking in the mirror as a society and saying, hey, we've lost our way. And since we've lost our way, who do we got to speak to? Who do, who's going to help us? to rehabilitate as a society to the point where people go back to their nature. And what is the nature? The nature is based on anatomy. So how do, you know, we have to figure out how to look at this stuff, but I can tell you for sure the Torah perspective is to look always at what was God's point. I mean, was, you think God created, and generally by, you'll notice that there's, there's the atheist gang likes to hang around that area. I'm not saying everyone's atheist. I know people very observant who have these same-sex attractions. So, but it's generally the atheist can't. And, but from a believer's perspective, what kind of just God would create a human being with a crisis over their very gender? So you're either saying there's no God or you're saying something's wrong with God or you can actually, when we point our fingers, where are those other three pointing? At you. Or we can point at ourselves and say, maybe there's something wrong with us. Like, why do we have to push God out of the picture and become atheists? Or, or why do we have to accuse God of making a mistake with my gender or a mistake with humanity or society or whatever? Why don't we instead point to ourselves and heal ourselves? Um, this amazing rabbi in the back, he actually collects money for a family that eats whatever our class gives him. So if we give them change, they drink. If we give them bills, they eat. So feel free to uh, give generously. It goes literally directly to a family for Shabbos. Okay? Shalom, everybody, and have an amazing Shabbos. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.